mission of Jesus himself. I want to focus on one of the most succinct uh, and mercifully short explanations of why God sent Jesus into the world on the first Christmas uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and here, here's the explanation. Here's why God sent Jesus. I want to read just John three 17. Going to do it in two translations. It should be up on the screen. You don't even have to turn there. Um, but John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, or if you like the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, more contemporary translation, he says this, uh, God didn't go to all the trouble uh, of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help and put the world right again. And so let me just pray as we dive in and just look at this one text, one, one sentence in the original uh, this evening and pray that God would meet us through it. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for opportunities to be together. We thank you for all the joys of the season, the food and friends and family and all of those wonderful things that we celebrate around this season, a beautiful white Christmas. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus and the work that he's done on that first Christmas, the work he's doing in our lives and doing all over the world. So we pray tonight that you'd come by the power of your spirit, that you would speak a word to your people tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the one thing that hasn't changed since the first century, since Jesus' original message, is that we still live in a world filled with condemnation, blame, and finger-pointing. That is why this short and sweet explanation of why God sent Jesus is such good news. Just to remind you, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him. And so living in the world that we're living in, a world where we're constantly reminded of our own shortcomings and failings and weaknesses, I feel like it's such beautiful news to know that the heart of our God, our Savior, is not a heart of condemnation, uh, but a heart for this, right? Because we, if we look around us, it can be somewhat discouraging, and I don't want to dampen the mood of this wonderful Christmas season. Um, you can leave that slide up there, too, because over this first couple minutes here, but but just to, just to give you a few illustrations, you don't have to look too far to see uh, condemnation around. If we're looking, coming out of the last election cycle, right, we've got the two different parties, the Republicans and Democrats, you know, blaming each other for what's going on. Uh, sadly, even the church, right, is not immune from this kind of rhetoric, getting swept up into all the big issues that have separated us, whether it's politics, race, COVID, and people are arguing and judging and condemning and it can be ugly stuff, maybe a little bit closer to home. Maybe you can see it in your own workplace, uh, the workplace politics, uh, people pointing the finger, putting blame as you know, year-end work has started happening. Right? We, we live in a world like that, and maybe even a little closer to home. It's getting a little uncomfortable, right? Maybe in our own families, under our own roofs, we feel just that, that conflict, that condemnation that happens to come into our lives. And maybe worst of all, right, is, is that self-condemnation that we bring on ourselves as we look around us and we look at all of the ways we've maybe fallen short of what we want to do. And I know personally, right, I'm a bit of an idealistic, I, an idealist. I like everything to be perfect. I want the season to look spectacular, the food to be incredible, the gifts to be amazing, well-selected, right, every piece of things to come together in just all the most wonderful ways. And then when it doesn't, right, just feeling just the weight of that condemnation, that frustration when things don't all work out, when 
the execution doesn't quite live up to the, to the vision and the plan and the idea. And I feel the weight of that. I don't know if you feel that too, but I see that in my household. I, some of my kids too, I see that in them, just that, that self-condemnation, just that wanting to beat themselves up for little mistakes, just being a kid and what kids uh, do here. And that's why John 3.17 is such good news for our cultural moment, right? A world of condemnation for our churches, for our homes, and for our own hearts. And so I want to spend just a few moments uh, reflecting on this text here, right? John tells us that um, God sent Jesus into the world that first Christmas morning with a ministry, right? Not of condemnation. I love how simple this explanation is. Help us get beneath all of the trappings of the season to God's motivation. What was God's heart behind that first Christmas, right? We don't have to guess at God's heart for Christmas. God is not sitting up in heaven brooding about how best to smite the world, right, for ignoring him, right? The world is already messed up enough, right? It doesn't need any additional condemnation. We are already a mess and don't need any additional condemnation. And God's heart for us is not to condemn. One of the best ways that I have been able to think about this and one of the best illustrations for me uh, is this question here. If you were right now to imagine the look on God's face as he is looking at you in this moment there, if you were just, I know this is a strange thought exercise, but if you were just to sit there today and think, maybe close your eyes, just think, if I were to think, what is God thinking about me? What's the look on his face? What would that look like? Be? What, what would the, your perspective of your heavenly father be? Is he, is he frowning? Is he angry? Is he disappointed? Is he preoccupied with you? Right? If you take uh, just a moment uh, to imagine that for yourself, right? I think we all sometimes come down with images of God that really don't reflect what scripture says. A God of judgment, a God of condemnation. I think one of the recent polls I read that 70% of Gen Z think that Christians are judgmental and condemning. And of course, because they have a judgmental and condemning God, which is ironic, right? If, if the whole reason God sent Jesus at Christmas, right, was not to condemn the world, uh, but to say that it's interesting, though, that that image is often plastered into our minds, right? We just think of God as this condemning figure in heaven, just pointing fingers at us, looking uh, down on us, right? Do you see God as basically full of judgment and condemnation? This Christmas, we have an opportunity to reflect on the fact uh, that we have a God of incredible love and grace and mercy. And so let's look at a few parts of this here. I just want you to take this verse apart and look at a few things here. First, I want you to see that God's heart is not for condemnation, but for salvation, right? Not for finger pointing, uh, but for help and to put the world right again. And uh, let me just give you a few other uh, perspectives here. All the other religions basically tell you that you're doing it wrong and how to do it right. So if you look at the world's religions, right, they all have a system. They all have a plan. They all have a way of working. If you just follow the teachings of Buddha, the fourfold, you know, noble truths, you'll find peace and tranquility and ultimately enlightenment. So, you know, this rush after all of the commercial items that are out there, right, is what's stressing you out. You need to let go of all those attachments. If you're submit to Allah, right, if you're following Islam, following the teachings of Quran, the five pillars of the faith, you'll reach paradise. There's, there's five steps, five rules that you can follow. Or if you just keep the Ten Commandments, right, you'll experience peace on earth, right, you'll experience shalom and God's 
goodness, right? All the religions have a list of things that you should do, a list of requirements. And then if you're not living up to them, well, that's why your life is not going well. That's why you're miserable. That's why you're feeling that condemnation in your life. And in case you're not coming from a religious background, it's actually not all that different with modern self-help gurus, right? Um, It's interesting, right? If you don't have the right techniques, if you don't have the right habits, you don't have the right disciplines, um, if all of those things were coming together, then your life would be running more smoothly. That's that's self-help books, right? They've got a plan, they've got a strategy, they've got a to-do list for you. Uh, It's not like the religions, but it's similar uh, the way it works, right? They all mean well, and they give you good skills and um, tactics for your life. But if you don't live up to your own values, your aspirations, your dreams, your disciplines, when the New Year's resolutions fizzle, right, then there's just more condemnation heaped upon you. And even if there isn't any external condemnation, there's that internal condemnation. So as we look at the world of religion, right, we see a list of rules that lead to condemnation. As we look at the world of self-help, the world of pop psychology, more rules for how to live life well and more condemnation when we don't get it right, when we fail, when we struggle. And that is exactly why God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus that first Christmas for all the ways we can't live up to our own standards, much less God's. Since we couldn't engineer a way to God on our own, God sent Jesus into into our world to make a way back to him. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right, as a helpless baby in a manger, as we just saw in our children's story, uh, not to create some nostalgic scene for a Hallmark Christmas card, but to show us the extent to which God is willing to go to reach us. He comes down right into the messiness of our world, right into the filthiness of a stable Uh, filled with animals and a scared young teenage mother who's going to give birth in a barn with her fiancé. No no mother or mother-in-law around uh, for miles around. He came into a world because he wants to help each of us and set the world right again. So how does he do that? How does Jesus set the world right? How does Jesus break down the condemnation that we see and we feel all around us? Rather than condemning us, he takes the weight of the world's condemnation on himself. He takes all the fingers that were pointing at us and all that blame back on himself. He takes the condemnation we deserve on himself at the cross so that we can be freed from guilt and shame forever, so that we can live lives motivated by love and joy rather than guilt and shame. Paul says it this way in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus took that condemnation on himself. There's an incredible amount of freedom to be found in the beautiful work that Jesus has done, to be able to release that guilt and that shame, and to find the freedom that he offers. And Jesus rose again from the dead to make all things new, starting with us. He's working from the inside out, preparing us for a world where everything is set right, inviting us to join him in setting the world right. He's taking us on a journey from no condemnation to new creation. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the Christmas invitation tonight is to leave that condemnation at the foot of the cross. Remember, Jesus took your condemnation on himself. You don't have to carry it 
anymore. The invitation is not simply to, and that invitation is not simply to leave that condemnation behind, but to step into the gift of new creation, to be a part of God, what God is doing in the world, to be a new person, to be part of a new family. Uh, one of the images I wanted to throw up there, just of what it looks like to be a part of this new family that God is doing in the world. I thought I'd take a little bit of a picture uh, from one of the girls that we adopted from Honduras uh, a couple of years back. And this picture captures uh, so beautifully, I think, just the new life that is being experienced. Here's this girl. She's smack dab in the middle, uh, encountering a whole new life in the United States, just joining a whole new nuclear family, the Bartlett family. But if you look closely, you'll also see uh, she's surrounded by a church family, a few familiar faces up there, Katie and Sarah and Kirsten. And then there's support work, caseworkers, uh, all of our friends and support, and just part of a whole new family, a whole new thing of what God is doing in the world. And so I just want to give you that picture there of what God is doing, moving people from condemnation. And if you could hear this girl's story, uh, the hard work that she did to get there, and but how hard she was on her own self, the condemnation that she burdened under to feel like she deserved being part of a family, and just see her be welcomed into our family and be a part of this bigger uh, network of people, families that have loved on her. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a story from condemnation to this new family that she's a part of. And so I promised I'd be brief, so I want to close here with one uh, final quote for you to think about, um, an image and then one quote, and then I'll, I'll mercifully close us in prayer here. Uh, but one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, says this, and I don't know if I put this up on the screen or not, but I'll, I'll read it for you. He says, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try to carry it out as a man may read Plato or Marx said and try to carry it out. They mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now in the very room in which you are sitting, sitting is doing something to you. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man, still as much a man as you and still as much God as he was when he created the world, really coming and interfering with your very self killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of life he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing, into a new little Christ, a being which in his own small way has the same life as God, which shares in his power, joy, knowledge, and eternality. Uh, my prayer is that we would be a church celebrating that good news that Jesus is here in this space. He's removing that weight and burden of condemnation and making us new, inviting us to join his new creation project, to be a part of his new family, uh, to be new people. And so let's pray that God might even do that among us this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this one sentence description of Christmas. You didn't send your son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so I pray that that reality would come home, that we could lay down all the burdens of guilt and shame and condemnation tonight and walk out of this space, Father, as new creations, new people, uh, God, that you are working in, that you've invited us to be a part of your new family, your new story, what you're doing in the world. Would you fill us with your spirit uh, as we step into all the callings that you have for us? We thank you for this time. 
In Jesus' name, amen.